Thank you, Phil, and good evening, everybody. We've progressively, over a year or two, been wending our way through the book of Philippians, and um, just always good when you're looking in Philippians to remind yourself of what the message is, the message that the Apostle um, introduces in chapter 1 with at least six, six references to the gospel. It's a reminder to us, too, that our job is the proclamation and the living out of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He raised again according to the scriptures. And the apostle develops that progressively um, through the book. And we just, we're going to start on chapter uh, 3 this evening, which is the commencement of the sort of third phase. Chapter, chapter 1 of Philippians you can think of as the, the secret, the revealing of what this new message is, what this new thing is that uh, Christ has brought in. And we saw, we looked at the matters like the fellowship of the gospel of Christ and the furtherance of the gospel of Christ and the faith of the gospel of Christ, which is an overarching thought about the whole body of truth and teaching concerning uh, Christianity. So we call that the secret of the Christian life. Chapter 2, we looked at progressively too, and that um, we, we saw was the standard of Christian living. Um, it was positively revealed to us in the first four verses and then perfectly realised as we came to the verses about the Lord Jesus, let this uh, mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, then practically related to the lives of us as Christians in the verses 12 to 16 and then personally reflected in the lives of Paul and Timothy um, and Epaphroditus. So that's the first two segments of the book. Now, when we get to chapter 3, um, I like the way that... Um, who is it? Um, anyway, one of the commentators regards this as the satisfactions of the Christian life in chapter 3. And one of the satisfactions of the genuine Christian life is that of joy. One of the marks of a believing Christian is an innate sense of joy. We notice it um, as we go through the, the New Testament as the church is established and you see the, the reflection of joy in those who are released. And I think um, wonderfully in the Ethiopian eunuch who having been brought to Christ, having obeyed in the matter of baptism, he went on his way rejoicing. It's the mark of a people or a person who has been genuinely transformed. So we'll look at that tonight as one of those marks. It's also, of course, one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of those nine graces that collectively constitute the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. And um, in fact, there you are, the second of them, a very important um, aspect of and mark of Christian life. Now we need to um, distinguish between 
what the world sees as joy and what the scripture is portraying uh, as joy. I've got a note here from John MacArthur and it's very helpful. He says, The joy of which Paul writes is not the same as happiness, that's a word related to the term happenstance, the feeling of exhilaration associated with favourable events. In fact, joy, the Christian joy, persists in the face of weakness, pain, suffering and even death. And we have plenty of scriptures to confirm that to us. So we're speaking here about something that is not the sort of thing that uh, you see on your screen because Queensland beat New South Wales at football or Australia beat England at cricket or something like that. Some, yeah, so people get a bit worked up about that. But that's a passing phase. That's something related to happen chance, to circumstances. We are speaking here tonight about a joy that is deep and lasting and is of the Lord himself. It's a work of the Spirit of God. It's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. And this, this whole book of Philippians is um, just, um, it's just riddled with references to and, and um, scriptures relating to this matter of joy. We'll start off with our reading tonight from just a verse or two from chapter 3 and then go over on to chapter 4. At chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this, Finally, my brethren... Actually, it's not the first... It's not the last finally of Paul in, in this book. We got it again. Uh, we're at the beginning of... Uh, somewhere into verse uh, chapter 4. Anyway, verse... Thank you. That's it. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Um, here, it's more a connecting word, actually. It's, they are two different words, in actual fact. And this is um, a word that is connecting it with what's gone before. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And then he goes on with some warnings to them about threats that, and we'll perhaps deal with those threats one of these days, but not tonight. He, he deals with threats to their, their Christian life as individuals and their church life um, there at Philippi. But take note, please, that the exhortation is rejoice in the Lord. And this is written by a man who is... Um, He's certainly not living in the lap of luxury. He's in prison. He's, this is a man facing the possibilities at any time of execution. Um, and he's writing to them about this blessedness of the joy that there is in the Lord. <clears throat> Verse, we, we go right through um, to the beginning of, of chapter 4. Um, he says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I beseech you, Odie, and I implore Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women, women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
and again I say rejoice. Can you be more emphatic about a matter? Um, chapter 3, at the beginning, he's telling them to rejoice in the Lord. Again now he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. And in case they'd missed the point, again I will say rejoice. So let's have a look at this under a few headings, if we can, um, this matter of Christian joy. First of all, we might look at what we could call the doctrine of joy. The experience of Christian joy is based on sound doctrine. It's to be expected. It's biblical for us to expect to know the joy of the Lord. And something which is not limited to pleasant circumstances and we'll probably come up with some examples of that in due time. In verse 8 he says all things he counts but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He's, he's saying that Christian joy can only be known in the Lord. So we can't say to somebody um, we, we trust that you will know the joy of the Lord unless that person has received Christ, unless they've received him as Lord and Saviour, unless his life actually has been imparted to them. They have, in the words Philip used before, been born again. Yes, we've been, of course we've been born to be here, but to be born again means that a new quality of life, a new life entity is within us and now we are indwelt by what the Lord Jesus said was like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Or we're indwelt by the person of our Lord the Holy Spirit who lives this life out to us. So there's th this doctrine of Christian joy has at least two major aspects to it and one is the joy of justification. It says, and be found in, verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul developed that further in his letter to the uh, Roman church. There in uh, Romans 5 at verse 9, much more then, being now justified by his blood, being justified, just as if I'd, never sinned in the sight of God, justified by the blood of Christ, the price paid, the absolute complete debt covered, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but... We also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we now have received atonement or reconciliation. So we can rejoice because we have been justified in the eyes of God. We are no longer guilty. Before we came to Christ, or before a person comes to Christ. They are condemned already. We were condemned already. We were under condemnation until the Lord graciously brought us to himself. That it's alone is a point of much joy. I was reading in preparation for tonight 
um, um, an account of a lady who belonged to a congregation, a, quite a sizable congregation, but she was troubled that she didn't know joy. She, so she went along to the pastor. And uh, I'll read you the, the record. There must be something wrong in my life, for I do not have joy. The minister asked her, Are you saved? She said, Yes. He said, Do you know the Lord? Again, she said, Yes. He probed further. Are your sins all washed away? And again, she replied in the affirmative. Are you glad for all that? She saw the point. And she answered, well, I certainly ought to be. And if we had nothing else to rejoice in, if we had nothing else to be thankful for, but the fact that our sins are covered, we are right in the sight of God, irrespective of anything else, that is a basis for great joy. And I think those of us who can think back to and recall the time of our conversion, the blessedness of that debt having been paid, that threat having been removed, the fear of the grave having been taken from us because we are now cleansed by the precious blood of Christ, that alone would be reason for knowing innate joy deep in our being. The second aspect of, um, of that is the joy of sanctification. The Apostle says in verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Um, Stephen Alford's commentary on that. The Apostle's mention of the resurrection in verse 10 refers primarily to a spiritual experience. It involves knowing Christ not only as Saviour but as Sovereign. To be brought under the authority and Lordship is sheer joy. And uh, we could add to that the words of Romans 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This was a man in, in, in this very area he points out he had a background in religiosity that um, was second to no, nobody in his, gener in his generation. He was a this and he was a that and he had done this and he had done that and so on. And he now accounts it all like rubbish to be dung, I think the uh, old King James Version refers. That's rubbish. In the sight of God, the very best that Saul could do, the very best that you or, or I would be capable of, it's filthy rags. That's what it looks like to God, the best we can produce. But here we are now made to be cleansed and set apart for the purpose of God, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his, his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. The joy that there is in the Lord doing that ongoing work that is bringing rough, um, sinful diamonds, as it were, 
and bringing us into conformity progressively to his will. So we speak about the joy of justification, the joy of sanctification, and uh, we could think too of the joy of glorification. For our conversation, we read in verses 20 and 21, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself. As we were beautifully and forcibly reminded this morning, he's coming again. It may be soon, it may be this evening, it could be before the meeting's over, but he's coming anyway. And our conversation, our very manner of life is now linked with heaven. The joy of being able to look forward to that day when we shall see him and be like him. What blessedness, brothers and sisters, the joy of being looking forward to that day when we won't only be justified and sanctified sinners, but we will be glorified and we will be with him and we will be like him. Is that how many steps of joy um, can we expect um, when we've got that sort of scripture for us? As reading this week, this past week about Robert Rainey, um, a Scottish teacher, and uh, one of the children who sat under his um, ministry thought that the school principal, this Rainey fellow, must have gone to heaven every night because he was so happy every day. And this was a man who had a little saying about the joy of the Lord and I thought it was worth taking note of, particularly in these days when we've, been, we've watched a new king being um, enthroned and, uh, and seeing all the flags and so on. But we know that there's a, the uh, royal ensign is raised wherever the king is in residence. Rainey used to say, Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. So um, this matter of joy is something that becomes manifested um, in our lives and shines out um, as we progress in our Christian war. Well, so much for the doctrine of Christian joy, the joy of justification, the joy of sanctification and the coming joy, unspeakable and full of glory when we're in his presence. And we might just briefly look also at the discipline of Christian joy. It's an instruction. We need to take note of that. It's something we are told to bring about, to ensure is present in our Christian life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Did you hear that, Zerky? Rejoice in the Lord always. It's an instruction. It's in our Bible. It's there for our guidance and that we might learn to live accordingly.
And this maintenance of the joy in the Lord is something that needs to be taken into account. Now, sometimes we need to face reality that it's missing. It's, it's not, we're not consciously aware and, and living in the joy of our Christian life constantly. It, well, maybe it's only me. But um, as a matter of testimony, I could say that it is something that we don't have 100% of, 100% of the time experientially. And it's a good hallmark for us. If it's not there, there is something wrong in our relationship with the Lord. We have, we, there is something that needs to be put right. Our perspective on something or other is out of whack if the joy of the Lord is not a present reality. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say it, rejoice. I'm not saying it. It's the, it's the inspired word of the apostle that's saying this to all of us. So it's a discipline for our Christian walk and witness. And it's a good um, telltale for us uh, if we step outside the um, will of God or the attitude of heart that God wants us in relation to any situation or person or purpose or aspiration or any such thing. If the joy is not there, it's not because the Lord is any different. It's not because the Holy Spirit um, is any different. He brings forth in our lives love and joy and peace. And where these things are lacking, it's a good uh, indication to us that there's something needs to be dealt with in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Um, not one day a week or six days a week. And uh, it's helpful, as we mentioned earlier, to remember that Paul was writing this from a Roman dungeon. He was in chains and death was ominously uh, around for him at any time. And the exhortation is to rejoice in the Lord and it calls for a personal application of the word of God. In writing to the Colossians, Paul says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, Colossians 3.16. We need to let the word of God dwell in our hearts. We need our thoughts to be more and more um, formulated around his word and by his word. And if we're not rejoicing, it's because we've neglected something in our daily walk with him, either in his word or our communion with him um, or some other way. Jesus himself said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now, that's the blessed experience of a believer who is moving forward in the known will of God and, joy, and gladly doing so. Jeremiah could testify in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, the words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. His word taken in, assimilated 
into our being. I did eat it, he says, and the word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Well, may the Lord grant to us that his word is just that to us personally, certainly as it's expounded to us that we might be blessed and benefited by it, but our own searching of the scriptures and our own application of the word of God in our lives from day to day. This, this matter of it being a good telltale of where we are with the Lord, um, uh, George Muir, the man famous for his faith and, um, and trusting the Lord for provision for children's orphanages and so on, this is what he said. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every, every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how the inner life might be nourished. It's an ongoing responsibility that we have, that this blessedness should be our portion and not in any sense taken from us. So a second needed discipline is the personal appropriation of the Spirit of God, appropriating the Word of God and appropriating the presence of our Lord the Holy Spirit. We're exhorted in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, go on, making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit himself brings joy. It's his part of his work to bring joy into our lives. And one commentator says this of that passage, as we apply the word to our lives, we open ourselves to the filling of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord. There is no fixation point or stagnation period in the experience of the Christian. The joy of today should be greater than yesterday's joy and the joy of tomorrow greater than that of today. I remember one of the dear old sisters uh, who worshipped with us here for many years, who was a missionary in a northern part of Queensland in Aboriginal communities in her younger years, and who had been through much privation. And she said that when she came to Christ, a dear, experienced believer said to her, Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Now she's an old lady when she's giving this test to me, not long before her passing. And she said, and it's true. Now, sometimes we miss out, don't we? We have days when we couldn't say that in all honesty. But this dear, precious old lady, after having been through much in the way of testing with the Lord, could say what that writer has just said there, that if we're moving on with the Lord, the measure of joy, the measure of assurance and peace that we have should be a growing thing. And secondly, the manifestation of the joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It should, needs to be seen in our lives, and it's the element of Christian experience with which shines and sparkles and attracts people 
to know Christ. It's one of those things that are very difficult for unbelievers to understand. But it's a work of God's spirit. D.L. Moody was preaching one time and uh, he had a glass in front of him and uh, he said, how can I get the air out of this glass? People made suggestions, you could suck it out and make a vacuum. He said, well, that's not much of an idea. If it made a vacuum, the glass would collapse. Um, but anyway, um, so he just got a jug and filled it up with water. And uh, he said, there you are, the air is all out of that glass. And he was explaining the matter of us being filled with the Spirit of God. We don't get rid of that which is joy-consuming by just trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and improve a bit in this or a bit in that. It's a work of God's grace. It's a work of the indwelling Spirit of God to fill our lives and to manifest these blessednesses that the Lord is wanting us to know and to experience at first hand. And he, um, he mentions about our need for reasonableness in manifesting his joy. The, the first I should have quoted to you was um, verse 5 of chapter 4. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Some commentators re render that moderation as yieldedness, the uh, revised version as forbearance, and Rotherham uses the word considerateness, and Matthew um, Arnold, the English critic, translated as sweet reasonableness. And he points out that um, that word is not used elsewhere um, in classical Greek, and it's probably a word that has been um, put together by the apostle for this very purpose. He comes to the conclusion that it was a coined word and it gathers up the idea of radiant Christian living, reasonableness, our, everything about our lives that is balanced and reasonableness and shows forth his joy. In the days of the early church, in the days of the martyrs, um, many people were perplexed by the experience of some of those quite young Christians. They were all young in the faith in the, uh, the first century, basically. But many, were, many of the uh, opponents of the gospel just couldn't figure it all out. And one put it this way, what makes these people glad a Roman soldier, filled with hate, could grit his teeth, go into battle and die. He would rush at the enemy with anger in his heart, hate written on his face and cursing on his lips. That was the way a soldier was expected to die. But to see a young girl thrown to the lions in the arena, to see a smile on her face as she prayed for her murderers, this was something new. And the world still notices when a Christian whose life is filled with troubles goes on singing and being happy. That's true Christianity. As a matter of fact, that was the very beginnings of the church, this church at Philippi, when two men, having been flogged and imprisoned, were singing praises to God. And that's when the um, 
that uh, crisis occurred in the jailhouse and uh, the jailkeeper was converted and the, the beginning of the church was uh, taking place in those days. So, brothers and sisters, there's much in this for us, this matter of joy. Um, and if we're wanting to look at an example, I think, and we'll close with this, it's the probably the example of the apostle himself. We've mentioned a couple of things about him, but he said in verse 4 that there was, of chapter 1, that there's joy in prayer. In chapter 18 of verse of chapter in verse 18 of chapter 1, joy in persecution. His critics could add affliction, but they couldn't touch his joy. Verse 25 of chapter 1, joy in progress. Nothing seemed to thrill his heart more than the knowledge that his children in the faith were growing in grace. Fourthly, in chapter 2 at verse 2, joy in purpose. Not that anybody, everybody should think the same, but rather that they should have the one aim, that they should be together in this purpose of making the gospel of Christ known, that men and women who are without Christ could be saved. Joy in prospect, that one day the ministry would be recounted in heaven. Joy in passion, chapter 4, verse 1. And chapter 4, verse 10, joy in prosperity. Whichever, whatever eventuality was current in the life, it was noted that, that this was a time for joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, we've looked at the doctrine of Christian joy and the dis discipline of Christian joy. We won't have time to look at the delight of it, but let me say that um, we could look at that under a few headings. It sweetens the spirit of a person. It satisfies the soul of a person, and it even, according to... And Nehemiah strengthens the body of a person too to be rejoicing in the Lord. Well, let's give thanks for the blessedness that he's brought us into and that he has in prospect for us. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, this evening we thank you for the wonders of salvation that brings those who were in fear of the grave those who were without Christ and without hope in the world, to be members of your family, members of your household, heirs of yours and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus, to be indwelt by your Spirit and for him, the blessed Spirit of God, to be bringing forth in our lives the fruit of the Spirit that are love and joy and peace and the other graces that he imparts as we move along in the Christian walk. We pray, Lord, for each other, that we will be filled with him, and that these lovely characteristics that flow from him will be manifested in our lives um, today and through this week and throughout the days that you entrust to us. For Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen.